Today, we're talking about resilience, and, as we'll discuss, in many cases, resilience is discovered as the result of having endured something difficult. So, trigger warning. In this conversation, we're talking with Ty Autry, a performer, an entrepreneur, and a survivor of gay conversion therapy. That is his phrase. I know that many of us call it gay conversion abuse, but that word therapy is the language that he uses to describe his experience. In this conversation, we talk about the different forms that resilience can take depending on the circumstances that you find yourself in and the resilience strategies that can help you through even the toughest of times. And we'll explore resilience from many different angles because, as we find, it doesn't always look the same as circumstances like your age, your independence, or even the laws that govern you change. There's a lot to take away from this conversation, so thank you to the Patreon subscribers that make it possible. To join them, please go to patreon.com slash bottomlesscoffee and pledge your support. Soon, Patreon subscribers will also have access to the live stream of future conversations and access to our Discord server so that we can all talk to one another in real time. But okay, that's enough of that for now. Let's get to it. Hey, welcome everyone to Bottomless Coffee. I think we're at like episode now nine now, which is blowing my mind. Um, we are here with Ty Autry, and today we are going to talk about resilience. What is up, Ty? Hey, hey, hey. You know, it's a beautiful hey. 70 degrees in Atlanta. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> we were just saying before we started, I'm in Minneapolis, and so I think it's, it is 34 degrees here, which is so warm for us. So warm for you. I mean, you know, it's been a nice break. I was in New York for three years before this, so it's sure. kind of nice coming back home in a sense and getting more of like, oh right, this is what it feels like to only have three weeks of winter instead of like months of winter. And you know, New York is windy. So yeah. windy. It cuts you like a knife. Now, for people who don't know, um, I'm pretty sure you were in New York as a performer. Mm -hmm. um, can you speak just a little bit about your career? Um, and then we'll get into your whole journey, because I really want people to leave feeling like they know you, Ty, because you're a great person. Oh, back at you. So my journey as a performer, I mean, just like any performer you talk to, it's never going to be in a linear path, right? Every story is different, which is why there's no, like, handbook or like rungs of a ladder to really climb up. Everyone's story is unique and individual, that unique point of view. So I started out as a performer in 2015 in Atlanta. Um, very short synopsis, I moved up in 2017 to New York to train mm. at Atlantic Acting School. They offered me a six-week intensive with a small scholarship, and then they then were like, hey, you should do the year-long evening program. So I did a year-long evening program, you know, and during that time I worked my consulting business, I also worked at a restaurant, and then I trained at night, and nice. then um, the last two years of New York has really been refining who I am as an artist, 
in the sense of understanding that my passion when it comes to performing, writing, producing, directing, choreographing, all revolves around the queer narrative. And that was kind of the gift New York gave me, that inspiration of I can create work, which is how I became a playwright, started writing my own plays, works that I wanted to see on stage. Um, not just roles I wanted to be in, which I think is, you know, if you're also an actor or a playwright, you do both, but even creating shows in, in the queer canon that I felt like were missing, particularly around the Southern narrative. I wanted to really blend yeah. queer, Southern Christian culture into like one giant mashup and see what came of it. Oh, wait, Christian culture? Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. Queer and Southern. I'm like, okay, we can do that. Queer, Southern, Christian. That is tough. And I argue it isn't. You know, I think it's, I think it's an idea that Christian queer can't blend together. Like, we think that's the tough part, right? Because Southern sure. and Christian go, like, hand in hand, right? That's true. But being a Christian my entire life, still being a Christian to this day, having gone through conversion therapy on and off for three years, mm. getting kicked out of a church, banned from a Christian school, you know, at one point because of my queer identity and just conflict in the house, basically moving in with my grandparents. I was sent through this fire of <laughs> can I hold on to my faith through that time? And what does my faith mean to me? And since I came from that and through that journey, my faith actually helped me, I feel like, survive those periods of my life where I feel like yeah. it could become bitter, sour, depressed, yeah. um, fallen into traps I think that other uh, queer people in our community fall into when they've been put under Certainly. so much stress and pressure. Mental health in the queer community should absolutely be another topic for a future conversation, yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, especially with the pandemic. And it's funny enough, you know, speaking about resilience, I think resilience can teach you how to work with your mental state in that present mm -hmm. moment. And mm -hmm. um, so wrapping up this whole like, wait, Christian, queer, Southern little tidbit, uh, because of that, <laughs> because of that time period in my life, and now as like fully realizing in this moment what my artistic mission is, I'm on a mission to show that those three concepts can live together with ease. Like it's not going to be hard. It doesn't have sure. to be hard. It can be smooth and easy. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm certainly, if anything, more intrigued by your work than ever before. Um, and uh, I, gen I gen uh, genuinely am. You know, I, was, I uh, also grew up in Atlanta. I also grew up in the church, um, in the Southern church in particular, I am, but in two different, um, I guess, denominations, right? So I would go to North Carolina with my grandparents, um, Methodist, I think Methodist. I don't want to. I don't want to misspeak. Uh, whatever they are, uh, they still are They're very open. You know, I just introduced my husband to my grandmother just a couple of months ago. Um, like very, very comfortable in the conversation, right? However, um, 
in Atlanta, in the suburbs of Atlanta, I went to a Southern Baptist church. And just the other day, I was reading that, um, you know, they're still debating like the presence of gay people or gay marriage and what have you in the Southern Baptist denomination. And so my earlier remark relating the difficulty of that Southern queer Christian experience is directly the result of my personal experience in that particular denomination. And I love that through your art, I can expand my worldview through a different perspective. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I hope that other people can get that experience of rekindling faith, whatever sure. faith means to you. And I'm someone that holds that whatever your faith is, if it's in a deity of some kind, or if it's in no deity, it's still a faith, but that is a part of human nature to have faith in something. Um, and yeah, so I hope I work. I hope my work inspires a rekindling of faith or a reevaluation of faith, which I think the pandemic is also letting people do because we've been slowing down. Like it's kind of yeah. this great uh, pressure cooker for these kind of ideas. <laughs> okay, okay. So we didn't really have a pre-call, but when um, you broke the topic of broached the topic of resilience to me, I thought, well, vis-a-vis the pandemic. You know, it's going to be, <laughs> I wasn't expecting a positive spin on the pandemic from you, Ty. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I, you know, I would have to say that, is it a curse? Is it a blessing? It depends on who you ask. But I am a realistic optimist. And I say that in the terms of, let's be real. This pandemic has been hard. It's been tough. Mm-hmm. Um I'm sure we'll get into, you know, not just the general toughness, but like what it has done to me as like my personality has shifted, my career has shifted, the things I've had to let go, the things I had to grieve, the things I had to mourn and just to survive. But there's something about it, I think maybe just from over the years of growing up gay in the South, where I was like, you know what? It is gonna get better. I have to find that light and I have to work through this moment to get to the other end. And that's really helped yeah. me during this pandemic, I think, and finding that resilience and that positive spin on it. Yeah, I've had become more resilient during this time but the lessons I've learned, there are lessons that are going to carry with me for the rest of my life that when we're out of this pandemic and I'm able to go and explore and do, I hope that I'm a better person yeah. for the world, for myself, for my partner, for my family. Like, that's my hope. Let this be a pressure cooker so that I can be better when this is all over. That's wonderful. That's a beautiful thought. Um, and I hope that's the way that it turns out. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We all, can, all we can do is try. I agree. I agree. Um, and I, I think I feel uh, ideologically aligned with you there. I mean, obviously, the purpose of this podcast is to uh, uh, leave the, our listeners feeling inspired and empowered to make a positive difference in their lives and their communities. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really excited that we're having this conversation. But let me tell you... Um, there, are, there have been three performing artists on so far, and one of them was very concerned uh, about whether or not we were going to root the conversation in, uh, with the acknowledgement 
that as a white cisgendered gay man, um, you may have had certain advantages over a female actor or over a trans actor or whomever, right? And so I just want to uh, make sure we, uh, we acknowledge both sides of this, not of the story, but of the narrative, because while you tell me that, things I really didn't know about the conversion therapy, about being kicked out of your home, those things are, which are terrible, right? Um, I wonder if you've given thought to uh, any form of privilege that you may have as well. Yeah, so, I mean, that is just a brilliant question to ask. And I would say that, you know, we need to look at it from all these different perspectives, right? It's a melting pot of everyone's perspectives coming into play. Yeah. What I would have to say is that, that, yes, my life has been hard, but it's also been very blessed. And I know that a lot of those blessings, especially when growing up in the Deep South, did come from the color of my skin and my gender. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I recognize. And I also recognize that I don't fully understand the impact of that. Like I can't, it's sometimes when I sit down and think about the moments that felt easier, not saying that I didn't work my butt off to go to like an engineering school and get the grades I did yeah. and like work at Turner Broadcasting, like all these things I did at the same time, like I busted my ass. But I think in the past year and beyond that with exploring white privilege, you know, internal racism I might have or do have, did have from growing up in the South and just being taught that from like grandparents, parents mm -hmm. down. It's recognizing that I did come from a place of privilege, even though I don't know and can't pinpoint to those exact moments, you know? Yeah. And I, part of me, when I was thinking about this, I wish I could point out and be like, I know this is a case that I can call out. But there's a sense of like peace I have with understanding that's a general understanding that I probably got jobs easier. I wasn't ever mm. questioned on my skin color. I, certain things were just allowed or they weren't, I wasn't grilled as hard as other individuals, right? Yeah. And I guess what I try to do in answering this question and bringing it to the present moment is, especially when auditioning for roles, I don't audition for roles that are non-binary or are trans because mm. as a gay man, I still feel like I'm fighting to play gay roles. And I constantly yeah. see that straight man get the gay role. And, yeah. you know, we have a lot of great representation, more representation of color coming in, but there still is a lack of representation on the queer spectrum. So part of what I do is I my task in making sure I give space to uh, non-binary and trans actors is letting them go for the roles that are written for their, their orientation and gender um, or non-conforming gender, because that's not me. And I yeah. hope that helps in some way. And I also hope to, in my writing, I hope to do it. Like I recently just wrote a play that was at Rift and Triangle Playwrights um, Southern Queer Playwriting Festival called Red Wave. And it flips the entire world on its head where 90% of the population is queer and 10% is straight. And it looks at the 2015 and 2016 election in Southern politics through the conservative lens, but where 
straight is, you know, bats, the breeder. Oh, interesting. And basically trying to flip political agendas while not at the same time and opening up the door to different ideas on how politics has decimated part of the South in terms of being very divisive, using the Bible. So I, I am even more fascinated by your art. If there is a recording of that play, I would love to see it. Um, I love this idea of kind of holding up a mirror uh, to society through your work. And I love um, how you're approaching your auditions. And I love that we're even having this conversation and your, your initial response um, that there's more to understand. I, uh, like I told you, I just got back from North Carolina, seeing my grandmother, it was the first time in six years, and I got the chance to write an op-ed about that experience because it was right after the Capitol attack. Mm. And uh, my grandmother was kind of like, well, maybe now that a Confederate flag has been flying in the Capitol, um, our white allies will realize that the work that they're doing isn't enough to stop white supremacy from literally trying to take over the country, Yeah. right? Um, but she said this with my white husband right next to me. <laughs> but it's still the truth. Like, it's still the truth, though. And that's the thing. I think we have yeah. to, those of us that are of a white skin tone, we need to be comfortable and okay with those statements around us. We can't take offense to them. But you have to be included in those conversations. And um, wh- bringing it kind of back to your art, um, you, I don't, I, don't, I don't even want to say simulate. You have those kind of, those conversations, even though they're scripted, um, for huge audiences, right? Like, I can't have that uh, conversation with my grandmother one husband at a time because that's not effective. <laughs> you know, I'm probably going to max out at three, maybe four husbands. <laughs> Which husband are you on now? This is one. Okay. This is still one. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just getting started. <laughs> well, and I want to bring it back to so Red Wave, and, um, because I want to be, be yeah. very clear about something in case people are thinking, oh, this is a play in the South. He's flipped the orientations, but he's left the cast white. That's mm-hmm. not what I did. And the reason why I bring it up in terms of talking about, um, you know, privilege is I explicitly have written into this play that is not to be an all-white cast. In this world I've created, I wanted to make it... (sighs) I struggle with this even... As an artist, things can shift over time as you learn new things. And right now I'm in the mindset I've created a whole new reality where orientation is flipped. And I've decided to not make race an issue in this world yeah. much like how bridgerton has done i haven't watched it yeah. yet but people say like they've you know they've they changed history a bit to make casting and they make sense you know in terms of bringing yeah. in more diversity and part of and i did that in this play before Bridgerton. i know bridgerton was a thing um but that's part of also what i'm doing of making sure that i explore writing outside of my skin color and I guess I'm doing that cautiously because I also don't sure. want to misrepresent anything. And so it's a learning process. So I hope that as a playwright, speaking from that angle, I can continue to low and low. I continue to grow <laughs> and learn 
about different nationalities and race and history yeah. and background, I can start to bring that into my plays more and more with more detail yeah. as I learn more about it. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, it's almost as though you're exercising a muscle. Um, yeah, you're right. You're, you're like, it's, it's a practice that you have to engage in on a regular basis in order to um, really create something special. Mm hmm. Because mm -hmm. I started off writing like a solo show of mine, right? Which is like mm -hmm. me, white, gay man. And that was a, what was Southern queer fairy tale? A Southern fairy tale. Southern fairy tale. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I branched off to writing like a two person gay male uh, casting, which is also can be uh, any kind of um, skin color on that. And mm -hmm. then this next play branched out into seven characters where five of them are women and two are men. So, you know, it's like that slowly learning of like, okay, can I write women now? Can I do that authentically? And it's a muscle. Yeah. And I guess I'm doing it a baby step at a time because I'm only 28. You know, I feel like- True. I feel like I have to catch up so much to other people. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I also recognize that I hopefully have another 50, 60 years of doing this yeah. craft. And- yeah. I'm never going to stop learning. I have, you can see yeah. like a fifth of my library behind me right now. And it's full of books and I'm constantly reading and exploring. And on my list is some new education material, you know, about race. So it's just, it's a constant journey, this, this question. And I'm so glad that it got brought up into the light even more so. And I, and I just hope to champion as I continue to go on and continue to champion anything that comes through and to the best of my ability. Wonderful. Well, I think we at the Bottomless Coffee community will be here to support you in that <laughs> journey. Um, what do you say that we take a coffee break okay. um, and then come back and then dive, dive like deep into the resilience of it all. The resilience of it all. The resilience. Categorias <laughs> resilience eleganza. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. That was a quick coffee break. Um, we're here with Ty Autry, and I apologize, Ty, I didn't ask you to plug your Instagram at the very beginning. Um, what, yeah, what's your Insta? So people can find me at jtyautry.com. That's the letter J, T-Y, A-U-T-R-Y.com. And my website is the same address as well, jtyautry.com. So all my information's there, all my handles are the same, so you can find me all over the place. Um, and that is not a joke. You are doing so much all the time. Off the top of my head, you've done like several shows. We were talking, you've got more on the way. Uh, you've got a web design company, J. Ty Autry Consulting. Uh, you've recently started Tiny Talks with Ty on Instagram, so I hope you wrote down that Instagram handle, everybody. Um, and there are like a bunch of other things that I'm sure that you're doing as well. Mm -hmm. Can you just walk us through the Ty Autry story? Like, how did you how did you end up here? How did you how did we end up having this conversation <laughs> in my living room? <laughs> well, in your living room during a pandemic. You know what I mean. <laughs> Different states. <laughs> living rooms across the world. We're actually big in India, which is unexpected. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I recently I did a tiny talk with a friend of mine in Australia. That's kind of like huh. the joy of the pandemic. Our, our borders are going down, which is fantastic. I hey, like. guess what? 
I watched that one. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for watching. Absolutely. Okay, okay, walk us through the story. I'm ready. Oh, okay, so this is a long winding story and I feel like having written a solo show where I've taken my story, put it into a blender, turned the blender on three and then spit it back out with some fiction to make it more engaging, I should be good at this. But it's so, I never know where to go into the moment, but I know where we're heading. So I will start off with saying that I am a small town country boy. I mean, I grew up in a town that had three stoplights to name, like to boot. Oh. And this country boy, after, you know, bouncing around between four different high schools and two colleges and coming out of the closet three different times on high school and going to okay. conversion therapy and then, you know, mm -hmm. all that other drama that ensues and being kicked out of a church, excommunicated at 15, like that, oh my gosh. that's a packet. And, you know, I, I kind of, I'm glazing over that, not because it's not important, but I think there's other bits I want to highlight in this conversation. And maybe we can go back to that on how at a young age, like, just had to be resilient and strive to keep going. We should, because I bet the resilience looks different at different parts of your life. Yeah, and I think the, let's say like pre-college was marked by a lot of survival, I felt like, of being a small town country gay kid who was in the closet on and off, didn't have a lot of friends, kind of a nerd and a dork, not kind of a nerd and a dork, I was a really big nerd and dork, and kind of awkward, and it was a lot of just surviving day to day because every year I was in a different high school. I was in a different town. I was constantly bouncing around trying to get my feet on the ground again. And then, you know, having things like certain privileges stripped away from me because I came mm -hmm. out of the closet being gay. I mean, I'll have a little story. When the very first time I came out, when my parents caught me for the first time, I should say, I woke up the next morning with my dad nailing my window shut. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. And it was a fear. What? Yeah, because the guy that I had been seeing that was also going to school I was going to literally lived like behind a fence and two doors down. Like he was in the neighborhood. And so there's yeah. this fear that I would sneak out. But I mean, it's like, come on, I'm not going to sneak anywhere. I was such a little like... Scary well, cat. Sure. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not gonna break any rules. <laughs> the biggest rule I broke my entire high school life was, well, in their eyes, was like being gay and like lying about it and stuff, which is a whole different topic. Um, but you know, waking up to that and the continual idea of not being able to see certain people, being told you can't hang out with this group, then the church telling you you're living in sin and that yeah. you're going to not be happy, you're not gonna have success, you're not gonna find a loving relationship, your life is gonna be miserable because you're gay, you have to build a lot of thick skin through that. And I like to say, when talking about resilience and endurance, mm -hmm. it's something that is born out of trials and tribulations. Resilience, comes from having to go through something and it's compounding, yeah. which is beautiful. Like the more you have to go through as shitty and horrible as it is, every trial you go through, 
builds up more resilience and understanding I can make it and I can do it. Which, you know, led me to going to Georgia Tech. I just want I just wanted to say that when you say I can make it, I can do it. I, I feel as though I can survive. Um, I can endure what is happening to me and remain my authentic self. Like yeah. that's the it um, that your resilience protects. Uh, that's the it that your endurance carries from one period of life that's uh, harder to ideally a time when it, it gets better, right? I just want to make sure. I mean, that I think that's a brilliant statement. And I love that, especially since going through therapy recently for the first time in the past two and oh. a half years since I went through a very traumatic experience with therapy. Part of it has been like, pulling away bits of layers to get back to my authentic self because I built up yeah. such a shell to protect yeah. it. And it became a defense mechanism like currently and well, not anymore, I would say like I'm really good about being who I am. And if you don't like that, we can still be friends. It's just maybe you don't, you know, it's like a understanding human to human vulnerability, I would have to say. Okay. Okay. But that puts us, that means survival was that period. And now later we know that we get to therapy and we get to this vulnerability, but there is something in between there that I think uh, we should explore more too. Yeah, well, I think it's the, you know, the years of going to tech and then it's the years of, you know, pursuing this acting career because, so I got to tech and things were, things were great. I mean, what tech taught me in terms of Georgia, Georgia, tech. Georgia, Georgia tech, yes, Georgia tech, Georgia Institute of Technology. Yes. Um, I mean, that's a hard school. It, it's, it's it's tough. It broke me down. Oh yeah. In like a mental way, but it was different. Like the resilience there I had to learn was like a mental adaptability to problem solve because mm -hmm. you know, as most nerds, I feel like when they get to tech, they feel like high school's pretty easy and standard. Like most of my friends in college were like, yeah, high school was like we got 4.0. Yeah. Like that's Everyone has a 4.0 at tech, and you're like, what? I thought, what's going on here? Um, but then you get to your first physics class, and you fail your test, and you're like, cool, this is, this is my life. I'm a failure. I'm not good at this. And so tech really taught the idea that what matters in terms of, am I going to let that test, which I know sounds so trivial, but it really did care like in that moment as like this young 18 year old, did I let this test define who I am and define that I'm a good person or a smart person? So it started to build throughout those four years, this idea of like, okay, what am I going to allow to define my identity? What am I going to allow to define my happiness and joy? Because it did get to a point mm. where you know, dating guys, breaking up with guys, going through that, being on my own. I had to really question what was I going to let impact my joy and my mm. happiness and give power over to that. And so that's what that time period taught me. And then moving into my acting career, I then, right off the bat in 2015, when I got an apprenticeship at Georgia Ensemble Theater because I knew after I graduated tech, like I didn't want to do engineering. Never. Oh my that. gosh. Are nope. You? <laughs> nope. Did it. You went to this, like, I think if tech is the fourth most difficult school in the country, 
the last time I looked. Um, you made it. You, <laughs> you, you bounced back from having failed that physics test and what have you. You got the degree, and then you were like, well, I wonder what else I'm gonna do because it's gonna be totally different. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here's this, my senior year while I was writing my thesis and also okay. crafting a show at Drama Tech Theater that I was yes. directing and choreographing and kind of like an oh, artistic okay. thesis. I also booked two professional gigs. So now, gotcha. I mean, I remember my final semester, I had to go do a show in the morning because it was a kid's show up in Marietta and then drive down and take like one of my final finals of my entire college career. And it was such a weird world to be in. They're like, all right, I'm getting this engineering degree, but here I am getting a paycheck for the first time for doing this thing that I've always loved. Yeah. And, you know, I just had this moment where I said, can I say fuck? I'm gonna say fuck, fuck it. I said fuck it. <laughs> I'm gonna like, I'm just doing this. I'm just going to jump into something that brings me so much joy. Yeah. And, I didn't care that it was going to be hard. I, you know, tech prepared me for that. I knew what hard looked like learning new I, skills. I mean, tech prepared you for it. Your whole life has prepared, had prepared you for hard up to that point. So yeah, I can see how you would not be really deterred by hard. <laughs> no, I wasn't. And I think if I have to admit, I felt like it was going to be easy. Like I fell into that. I didn't know the theater world. I didn't know anything about producing, about directing, about all the, the full gamut of what it takes to be in the performing arts. My sure. view was very limited, and I think that's kind of a trap I fell into. And... Well, that's... I don't want to interrupt your thought. Go for it, though. Well, so... You say um, you thought it was going to be easy, uh, and I can see where you would get that thought, because... You, you go out for an audition, you don't get the audition, it's not like people are gonna show up and nail your doors, nail your window shut. It's not like they're gonna tell you you can't be this person that you are anymore. It's not like if you're at tech and you're failing a test that they're gonna throw you out of the school or what have you. Like you don't get the audition, you just, you know, you have to audition again, right? Mm. And so <laughs> at least from that perspective, from the resilience perspective, I feel as though, uh, yeah, it sucks to not get the role, and there's certainly the opportunity that you might um, you might have to change careers or what have you, but that authentic self isn't really, you're not in survival mode um, in terms of remaining who you are. Yeah. You're, in you're in survival mode of like, you know, how am I gonna eat? How am I gonna maintain a social life? Right, and I, and you know, you really did hands. I you really did hit on something. I never thought of it that way before, but going into that, there was a realization and possibly I think in 2015, I was really starting to become more of my authentic version. So I didn't have to work so hard on protecting that. And so, yeah. like you said, like, where am I going to pay the bills or feed myself and do the craft? That is a little bit easier. Like those things, I guess, do you have an ease? And like you said, there's a simplicity to auditioning. You show up, you do your thing, you walk out. What I didn't realize, and now what I've learned in the six years of doing this, there's so much more to the practice of being a creative and wanting to mm -hmm. authentically create change. 
in the world through your craft and your art. Like I have 14 habits I do every single day that I check off huh? all in service of my career. And it's the stuff that I do that's outside the audition. But on top of it, the resilience has to come in and in in being a performer because, you know, there's only so much no's before you just feel like you can crumble. Hmm. You know, there's only so much before you start taking it personally. You know, I've gone on many auditions in the past two months, thankfully during a pandemic. I haven't booked any of them. Hmm. A play I put out, but the play I just talked about, which I believe so deeply and didn't get number one spot at a festival. Another brilliant play did. And you really have to have this mental aptitude of like, it's not personal. Yeah. But there is this level, I'm getting teary-eyed for some reason, of feeling like mm. not validated because you put so much energy, time, and money into this craft. Yeah. That you're just, sometimes it was even journaling. It feels like some days I want to scream into the void of just looking at the people that are casting and like, just see me. Like, just know I can do it. Like, just give me a chance so I can do the thing that not only provides me joy, but it provides other people joy. And it's, you know, it provides comfort in terms of like, I'm on the right path, right? Yeah. But here's, and here, and that's kind of the trap too, though, because I also say I haven't booked anything, but, and, you know, we're kind of jumping around a lot here. So I apologize for your audience. We're kind of like touching on a lot of different points and subjects. Fine. Um, <laughs> is how last fall, though, I booked four projects back to back. You know, I booked a pilot. I booked a supporting character on a new TV series coming out. I did my first feature film. I became SAG after eligible. I did a short film. You know, I wrote this play. I performed my show digitally. I got another yeah. reading. So at the same time, there's this huge influx of creativity that was birthed. And like through the months of October through well, August through like November, I would say. So what I've learned and what I'm still learning even during this pandemic, because it's harder with all the other stressors coming on board, yeah. is keeping the balance of like real reality, I would say. Of like, yes, right now, things I'm going for, I'm great for the role. It wasn't a bad audition. I did the best I could. It's just I'm not what they're looking for. And that yeah. isn't personal. But But it still sucks. It still sucks. <laughs> and, you know, and that's something that I'm, I'm so blessed to have some really close girlfriends of mine who lately have said, feel the suck. Like, don't try mm. to glaze over the suck because it's just going to linger. And I have to say, in terms of, like, taking that advice and really living in, like, feeling awful, <laughs> just, sure. like, yeah. feeling it, I bounce back so much quicker. And when I got some hard news yesterday, I wasn't feeling great. I took like an hour and a half to journal, meditate, play some video games, like kind of zone out, feel a little like meh. And then today, yeah. I'm like so full of energy and creativity. I'm not holding on to the weight of that burden. Um, but I couldn't so, ignore it. So that really kind of brings us into uh, that next topic or that question. Um, you, and you're segueing it with feel the suck, right? Um, <laughs> That is a resilience strategy mm -hmm. that you got from one of your girlfriends. 
Um, I feel as though particularly like in this present moment, you know, the pandemic is raging. A lot of people are out of work. A lot of people are probably applying for jobs and not getting them. Um, and so there is real value to resilience strategies because like we know how it impacts people's mental health. Now for you, uh, it sounds like feeling the suck uh, impacts you in a really positive way long-term. Short-term, not fun, yeah. unfortunate. <laughs> you gotta have your strategies to get you back in it. But once you kind of get through, like you said, your energy is up and you're ready to go. What are some of your other resilient strategies? So I have a strategy that's worked for years now that I was born out of New York City. And, but we, we, I say we because it's actually a collective. So it's called okay. an action group. And it's myself and three other amazing women across the fields. Uh, one's a writer, one's an actor, one's going in to get her um, master's in early childhood education. And she still mm. performs as well. We've created this group meet bi-weekly and we hold each other to task and we're there for each other in a space. The action group is designed to create actionable items that we can work on for two weeks. And why I think that's great for like a resilient strategy, especially when like you feel like you're in the muck. One, it's a support mm -hmm. system. Like you can feel your feelings right now and tomorrow or when the next day, you can jump on these things that you need to do in order to improve yourself or to advance your craft or to create potential clients, whatever it might be. And it's great because they're a sounding board as well. And we yeah. don't live in a bubble. Like as humans, we're not designed to do it all ourselves. We're designed to be part of a functioning society, a village, a family, something yeah. along that nature. And the pandemic has kind of cut some of that off for a lot of people. So first resilient strategy, feel the suck. Second one, find your group that you can meet with on a regular basis to talk about how you're moving forward. And I would also say on top of that, this is just dawning on me while I'm talking, keep a list of what you've worked on because it's really great to go back and go, oh, right, I did do all of these things today. I did yes. accomplish this because as someone who does like 3,000 different things, it feels like in one day, I can look back on my day when it's like eight o'clock at night and I've been up since seven o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, I have done nothing today. Hmm. And then I look at my task list that I kept for the day. I'm like, oh, I did all these things today. And every single thing had a purpose. Yeah. I really love that you um, kind of align your feelings with the data. You like realign yourself. You're like, I feel as though I haven't done anything. And then you review the data and you're like, oh, no, my feelings are wrong. Um, let me... <laughs> Which, can I speak quickly to that a little bit? This yeah, is something that I've learned from listening to a lot of Brene Brown, Rich Roll as well. I think he talked about for Brene Brown, I know for a fact in one of her earlier podcasts talked about this idea that the reality that we have in our head doesn't always align to what is actually happening in the environment. Mm -hmm. And I think that is such a crucial thing I learned maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, right before the pandemic hit, of checking in with myself on is my reality, are my emotions really lining up 
with the facts. Like what is really right. happening? And I forget the actual technical term that this is used for, but I would suggest anyone doing that. Like check in with yourself. Checking in with yourself to making sure that you're aligning with the reality is not a bad thing. Your, your brain is always working to make what it believes fit, which means if you have a false assumption, it's going to take every little bit of information out there and use it to construct a story that fits that point of view, even if it's not reality. Hmm. And if we let ourselves get wow. into that, it can build this rut it can build this structure that says, I'm not good enough. I don't have potential. I can't get out of this. This is never going to end. I'm always sad. I'm always down. I don't have any friends. I don't see my friends enough. Whatever that story and narrative is, if you simply journal, track it, and check with it, you can see that, oh, yeah. I saw four or five friends this week. That's quite a lot for a pandemic, you know? Um, I talked with X number of people. Oh, I did have, oh, that was a really happy moment. Oh, I, I did do that job. I went on five interviews. Yes, I didn't get the job, but I went on the interviews, you know? Yeah. And that can shift the narrative. Right. The story that you start telling yourself is the success story. Yeah. I heard another really great quote that I'm still chewing on. I wonder what you all think about this, but someone said, mm -hmm. you know, the voice in your head that's not you because you're observing the voice. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Wow. <laughs> oh. I was like, but there's, there's truth to that, I think, of like- I agree. There, that voice that we give so much power to, mm -hmm. is it really us? Mm -hmm. Is it a version of us? Because we have the power of observing that voice. You don't have to do everything that that voice says you have to do. No. You can make your own choices. The voice can be wrong. Yeah. Sometimes. In fact, every, every time, time I've been wrong, wrong that, that voice has been wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it says to have that third, you know, giant cup of cold brew at five o'clock in the afternoon, you may want to skip on it. That's where my, <laughs> right. a little lighthearted went on that. But, you know, I had cake for breakfast and, you know, I think it really nailed it that time <laughs> exactly so i think the final tidbit on this like strategy i've heard a lot of strategies i think if anyone follows me on across any spectrum they know i love my habits i love strategy i love actionable items that's the engineer in me coming out right yep. like give yep. me an actionable task you know um the final one i have to say is rest best rest hmm. and that's the latest resilient strategy i think i've learned that was the hardest to overcome for me because i for the longest time associated rest with being lazy yeah because i'm such a productive workhorse yeah. that being thrown into an environment where my entire career drifted away in a month at least like tangible things of it my business mm -hmm. in terms of building websites for creatives dried up because creatives don't have money to put into a website. Like yeah. all these things. And also I was left with a lot of time and I had to mourn. Like there was a process of yeah. mourning I had to go through and it taught me that giving myself space to mourn wasn't me being lazy. It was me resting. 
And that was so crucial to make sure that I could survive the long-term gain. Now, so we've got other stuff on here to talk about, but I know we're both on tight schedules. I have time. Well, I don't have time. Okay. I really want to make sure that we address how you got from, you know, having to really focus on being resilient to the point where you're able to kind of start peeling back those layers. Um, the if you once you're out of survival mode, you know, you're you're you go into the auditions and being resilient in that respect. Mm-hmm. But then you mentioned an element of vulnerability later on. Um, how did you get to the place where uh, you would have the collective, right? Where, you know, you are open enough about your experience to create art about it, like authentic, meaningful art. Um, is there a moment in your head when that happened? Or uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just curious about that transition. Mm-hmm. Because there had to have been a pivot in some way in your mind or in your spirit yeah. that, that something changed? I think I can pinpoint the start of it to okay. a mentor of mine telling me to write my story down. The story of coming out of the closet, conversion mm-hmm. therapy, getting you know kicked out multiple schools, excommunication, write it down and share it with the world. And then mm-hmm. she died and passed away from a heart attack in bed. Yeah. And in honor of her, I wrote my story, which became a Southern fairy tale. Wow. And what it showed me is that for the amount of distrust I had for people because of how often I feel like I couldn't trust individuals with being vulnerable, I learned that trust isn't earned, it's given at the start. Mm -hmm. And in order to be vulnerable, I had to trust people. Yeah. That has led me down a path of understanding. I want to lead with trust. I want to lead with vulnerability. I want to lead with the idea that this person is looking for something, I can help them, they can help me, just an act of being authentically who I am and accepting them for who they authentically are without judgment yeah. is better than distrusting them, better than thinking that they're only out to serve their needs. I mean, that was in 2018 I started writing, so it's very new for me, and I'm you know still a youngin on some level um but that was the seed that was the start and being vulnerable isn't a sign of weakness Mm -hmm. and being vulnerable doesn't mean you're not resilient you can still be vulnerable and resilient at the same time and i think there's some beauty to be had in understanding saying like i can work i can get through this i can see these problems ahead of me this pandemic is really hard running my own company is really hard but you know what I can also get through it. Yes. And just living in that, as weird as that is to say, you kind of just accept that's the facts. I wonder if 
the idea is that the the knowledge that you can get through it i wonder if that's not part of the thing the the something right because i think a lot of people look ahead and they don't know how they're going to get through it mm. you know i mean we're living in a terrible time in america there are people who don't know how they're going to get food on the table much less how they're going to get through the next six months or the next year and i think there is something to um your resilience as it's evolved that has given you this confidence to know that come what may right ty is going to get through it um and i think that's really wonderful because you don't have to have all the answers i know that sounds like a weird uh-huh thing to say i think you know what questions need to be asked but you I don't have all the answers. That's okay. I don't. I'm, I'm, there's some days I talk about resilience. We're talking about it. We talk about how I'm positive, but there are some days I am scared out of my mind. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. You just have to, maybe that's what resilience does over time. It gives <laughs> you, so. it just gives you this sense of like, okay, what is something that I can do? You know, and maybe, you know, it's simple as just going for a walk in the park. Maybe it's looking up jobs. Maybe it's working on whatever needs, like what are the tasks at hand that yeah. are in my control? What is actually yes. in my control? Let me focus on that and leave the rest to God, yep. to fate, to the mishmash of hundred millions and millions of people, you know? Yep. Yep. I 100% agree. So that's where it comes from. I think that's where it's evolved now. And it's just a recognition. It can be shitty. It can be good. We're going to have both over this time. Uh-huh. And the breathing and doing a lot of yoga helps. <laughs> <laughs> In a previous episode, uh, Brendan referenced alternate nostril breathing. So if you haven't tried that out. <laughs> I have heard of it. I haven't given it a shot, but maybe I'll do it today. Oh, it's nice. It's a nice way to meditate. Okay, so um, because I've got other meetings, we're gonna take a two minute coffee break. Then we're gonna come back and then we're gonna really, um, at, for the length of time that it takes, talk about how we can support you, Ty. Because you're a, you're a good person, you're doing good things, and we wanna know. I would love to share with you. Yeah. So really quick, we missed something in this conversation that I need to make sure you hear. Ty and I had this epiphany that his resilience carried him through some tough times when survival was at stake and when his ability to earn a degree was at stake. And then he became an actor where the stakes are still high, but they aren't survival stakes. That is not the same experience that everyone has. Some people who go through what Ty went through are no longer able to function in society to the same degree that they were able to function at before. When that happens, we say that those people have been traumatized. That might be traumatized for a little while, traumatized for a long while, or traumatized for life. From the conversation as I'm hearing it, Ty went through a chronic traumatic experience as a young person, does not suffer lasting damage from that experience. 
other people put in the same situation might be traumatized for life. And that is not their fault. They are not less than because of that. If you have been through situations that left you traumatized, okay, so we you are back. That are was not probably the quickest coffee break in Do you hear coffee me? history. And please um, at the go ahead and rewind that. We always ask again how we can support um, the guests okay. that's come on. Back to the conversation. And in your case, I know, you know, just a few episodes, we talked with Michael Wells, um, who's a performing artist and a choreographer. And he said that his career had really been hit hard, right, by the pandemic. He's had to adapt. He's had to change. Um, but that also meant that the process of supporting him as an artist has changed. And so if you um, are able to briefly talk about, I know you've alluded to it earlier, but briefly talk about um, how your career, in your opinion, has been impacted and then how we can support you um, as a community because we value your arts and your perspective. And I particularly love what you're doing. What you're doing. Oh, yeah. thanks. So yeah. my craft as a performer, like anyone else, has taken that hit where it just all disappeared. Mm -hmm. um, I, in the tail end of 2019, the last three months and going into 2020, built a 15-stop world tour for my solo show. A Southern Fairy Tale. Oh my gosh. Like, I was supposed to be in Australia right now performing. Obviously, I'm not. And obviously, wow. that didn't happen. So after spending four months building a tour by myself, I saw it all disappear <sighs> in March. Like, one by one, every single location was like, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. And that's partly why I was grieving, because I didn't yeah. have anything else set up nor could I have in the pandemic, but like I had projected a year and a half of my career was me dedicated to being on the road. Of your life? Of my life, yeah, a year and a half on the road performing yeah. uh, A Southern Fairy Tale. But in that, you know, in the pandemic I've learned I can write more, this downtime can be geared towards that, right? There are a lot of, of hoops we have to jump through now to perform. The audition process is a lot crazier. The film process is a lot more intricate. I mean, yeah, it, you're literally in a bubble when you're on set filming, at least I was, which means you can't see anyone outside. You're trapped with the people that you're with. Everyone's wearing masks. You can't really connect with people. It's a very odd way of doing things when this is such a community-based craft. Yeah. So with that thing being said, though, the way that anyone can support me is actually super simple. Because I'm sponsored by The Feel, which is a nonprofit organization, people can make a tax-deductible donation. Oh. All that money goes back to supporting my craft. And right now, I'm actually about to start raising money to go to Boulder, Colorado in August to perform at their Fringe Festival, Prague in October, hopefully to perform, and then going to Australia through January through March of 2022 to perform awesome. and I've had more opportunities to perform my show but I've decided to do little bite-sized pieces I know certainly, like certainly Boulder Prague and Australia are still pretty big pieces on their own which is why I'm like I think this is good while the world yeah, is still yeah. settling um I always try to put in my own money into this project is why I bust my ass but you know 
performing, I always am thankful if I even break it even. But a lot of times, you know, as solo artists, we lose money. We just do. Like, we do it for the love of sharing a story, not for the love of making a dollar. So. Oh, um, let me tell you, you do not have to be shy about asking for money on this program. When I ran for office, one of the, and I and did not win, um, in my kind of autopsy, self-autopsy, I was like, I should have asked for money way more often. I should have been like the Bernie Sanders meme of it, really. So the field, you said, is the place to donate? Right. And people can easily find it by going to uh, tyautry.com slash donate. I made it super simple. So it's just T-Y... A-U-T-R-Y dot com slash donate and all the information is there. My goal is to raise ten thousand dollars to cover that in all those stocks. Like that's that's for everything. Oh, wonderful. So um yeah, that's really it. I mean, besides following me on social media, keeping up with my work, it's always appreciative to an artist when people comment, you know, they've seen a show or you know, they've commented mm. and they I mean come and see it eventually, but I do know, fingers crossed, there actually might be an opportunity to catch me on a virtual production of a stage play. Oh. I have a call back this Sunday, fingers crossed. Okay, they're crossed. And if I book it, <laughs> people will see it all over the interwebs and, you know, be come support theater. Like, even if you can't be there in person, buy a ticket to the show, take $20 and just sit down on your couch and watch it. I mean, it means so much to everybody when that happens. Well, I will tell you, one thing we're doing is um, we're creating a section of the website to help all of our listeners stay up to date on what all of our guests and change makers like yourself are doing. Um, and so we will 100% stay in touch so I can promote to the audience um, when you get that role. And when you get the opportunity to be on that stage. Fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed. Oh my gosh, I can't, the time has really flown. <laughs> I feel like we've just like scratched the surface of everything you and I can talk on because I think you and I ideologically agree on some very important issues. I completely agree, but um, where our, even our agreement is informed by different experiences, and so our perspectives are different, even though we agree. Um, we have there is more to come between you and I, Ty Autry. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Likewise. Bye. Bye. It's always great when you hear your own values and suggestions reflected back at you, and you actually agree with them. Please do check in with yourself and do make sure that your actions align with your articulated values. That message never gets old. I hope that you enjoyed hearing this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. If so, please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash bottomlesscoffee. And if you'd like to support Ty and his work, that link again is tyautry.com slash donate. Right now, our little podcast is showing a lot of momentum. So please like, subscribe, rate five stars, and all that good stuff. This feels to me like really valuable content, and I'd love for everyone who would value it to have the chance to hear it. That's all from me. Thank you for joining in this conversation. Until next time.